1: And everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. He's live in Stanford, Connecticut at the CBS Sports HQ studios. That's Tom Fernelli from Chicago. I'm here in Raleigh. Gentlemen, week six is not quite in the books Barton's beloved Beavers, Triple B's right there, currently holding a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Just a just a massive game. We'll we'll give you updates as uh, as we continue to follow those along the way. Washington on the ropes on the farm down 13-10 and of course uh, a full day of action to recap, gentlemen. Barton, how are we feeling?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't appreciate you talking about the Beavers before the win is in the barn, man. <laughs> you got to this is this is this is Pac-12 and it's midnight and there's a lot of crazy stuff can happen. So, uh, but but good on the Beavers to be rolling right now. And this is going to be likely a podcast full of frustration as Washington pisses away what is likely to be uh, a, a a a cover, but maybe even a win against the Stanford team. They're surely better than. But uh, all that's neither here nor there. There's there's some good ball to talk about.
0: Tom, how's your day going?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still distraught about my air force Navy under not cashing, but you know, 78% of the time it works every time, I guess.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that, is that what is, is it a 78% clip that, that we're, that we're working off of with the service Academy head to head unders?
1: it's now twenty two five and one since twenty ten, so I don't know what the math is off my head. But so yeah, you know.
2: man, just yeah, stay the course. You know, just keep on rocking that thing, and you uh, you 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 you're bound to lose one every once in a while. I
1: th- I think it's just a symptom of the way that things are going for me this year that I can't even get the Air Force Navy under to hit right now. It's that's just my year in a nutshell.
0: Hey, we're gonna keep our head down. We're gonna keep swinging slow, and you just keep your eye on the ball. And things are gonna things are gonna get straightened out by the back nine. Don't you worry, Tom. You good with yeah, these golf a, analogies?
1: I'm a, I'm a bad golfer. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Hey, so let's start with the SEC on CBS game of the week. Florida takes care of business at home against Auburn. This was uh, there's a lot to diagnose here. We've got Kyle Trask going down with kind of a scary knee injury, but being able to come back into the game and finish the game. We'll see if if that ends up being anything moving forward. It was uh, a game that I thought. Florida's defense did a a great job of showing up, getting finally healthy as we talked about all during the week. Uh, Barton, I guess first, the, the lingering takeaway for you, do you feel like you're coming out of this isolating the game as like a, well, of course, Florida's going to figure out some way to win this, you know, top 10 matchup in the swamp against Auburn. Or are you coming out of this with even stronger feelings about the Gators? Maybe that the gap between them and the Bulldogs isn't quite as vast as I guess that we've sort of uh, intimated so far here on the podcast.
2: I I, I think, I mean, I certainly was impressed with Florida I came away feeling like this is. I still don't know if I think they're a top ten team, but at least I think now that they're they can they can claim it. I'm I'm good with them claiming it. Uh, they I still are a little bit one dimensional for my taste, but the defense really. I mean, I, I know Auburn can be very one dimensional, and and we talk about how sort of predictable they can be, but because of some of the pieces they have on this team, because of the, the, the style of quarterback, because you know, they've got Anthony Schwartz and they've got Seth Williams. like they've, they've got the pieces in place in a veteran offensive line to do the things they want to do on offense. And so as predictable as they might be, they're really hard to stop. And, and Florida's defense forced them to do the things they didn't want to do. And so that was, I, I just thought the defense for Florida looked outstanding. And and the type of defense that can keep them in any game in the country, maybe with the exception of the kind of the you know the the LSU, Alabama, Ohio State tier. I don't know if Georgia's in that tier or not. Right. uh,
0: Yes, agree. But that's a different conversation.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I. This game pretty much went how I expected it to go, except for I didn't expect there to be eight turnovers between the two teams for each. But, I mean, there was a lot of talk about Auburn's offensive line being improved, but if you looked at the defensive lines it had faced outside of Texas A&M, it really hadn't faced a very good defensive line all season long, and it certainly hadn't faced one as good as this Florida one, and we kind of saw it. But at the same time, I thought Auburn's offensive line, for the most part, did okay they couldn't run the ball but as far as you know protecting bo nix i thought it was decent not great nix's mobility certainly helped out quite a bit there but i just like barton was saying auburn's one-dimensional they took that dimension away and said okay bo nix beat us with your arm and bo nix was not good he was 11 for 27 145 yards a touchdown three interceptions just not a very good performance for nix but to be expected from a freshman quarterback on the road in that environment against that defense. And on the other side, Florida's offense kind of looked like what it was going to. You know, Kyle Trask, you hope they hit a couple big plays if you're Florida, which they did. They hit one early to get on the board first. But the run game, which has pretty much struggled all season long, was pretty much horrible for the entire game. But overall, it was still a very bad performance. So I, I think they're both top 10 teams, but I also think that this is kind of a sign of how there's like five to six teams that you can consider national title contenders. And then after that, the seven, eight, nine, and 10s, you know, there, there's a huge gap between them and everybody else.
2: I'm disappointed in myself in the, in the, in the ramp up for this game, the, the, the previews, cause I picked Auburn to win, but I mean, I, I was on top of this Bo Nick stuff this season and I wasn't fooled by the Oregon game. I wasn't fooled by anything. And then somehow, I guess I let Mississippi State game cloud my judgment. But Bo Nix is I, – I respect Bo Nix. <laughs> he is – you know, he's got a, a great – like and some, some great intangibles and playmaking ability, and he's athletic, and he's a coach's son, and he's hes going to be a really good quarterback for Auburn. But he's hes not like a, an above – Average, SEC quarterback. No, uh, I mean he's a below-average SEC quarterback, and he is a guy that is. I mean, even even like, oh man, like even the throw, the touchdown throw to Seth Williams, was a uh, was just. There's nothing impressive about that throw. The the one where Seth Williams had to kind of lay out and, and catch it that ultimately ended up with an end zone interception. If you just push that in the place it's supposed to be, it's a touchdown. I mean, he's just uh, when it, if you make him throw and not not every team's going to be able to do this but if you make him throw he's just not there yet like he's a good ways away and that was painfully obvious today
1: yeah i mean there wasn't anybody within like 15 yards of williams when he caught that ball and nick still you know barely was able to get the ball to him williams had to make a great play just to get to it so yeah i i agree nick has a chance to be a very good quarterback he's still very young but he's not that player right now. He's, he's a below average quarterback at the moment. And I think that's something we all need to keep in mind going forward because Auburn still has a lot of difficult games left.
2: Okay. And so I, oh, on the other side of it before, I don't know where you could go, Chip, but I do want to, I want to touch on Trask quick. Too, okay. Yeah. yeah. On the let's, other side. let's do that. Yeah. Because a, a number one is I thought that that showed a lot of courage where he came back in and played through that MCL sprain. Um, I, I've had an MCL sprain. It's, I mean, it's that's that's a tough deal. I mean, that that's it's you can you can move north south pretty easily, but to change direction, west. yeah, that's <laughs> that's a tough deal. So he came in and, and and I think showed some toughness playing through that and and sort of gave them enough. I also thought it showed something that the Dan Mullen just went back to him, didn't go to Emory Jones. I think that tells you how Dan Mullen views Kyle Trask, how Dan Mullen leans on him, trusts him in terms of his leadership and experience. But all that said, like LSU is coming up. And as much as I respect that performance, I think that there's some limitations on Florida. Uh, I mean, e- even their success in the throw game was, was sort of these short slants, quick hitter, West coast offense type stuff that the receivers may plays with after the catch. So, I, I I think this Florida team's really good. I think they're gonna be able to beat a lot of teams, most teams on their schedule, but I still don't know they have they have the offensive firepower to to win the biggest games.
0: Well so all right, that was the question because both of the teams that we saw today in Gainesville are gonna play LSU and Baton Rouge. Both of these teams are gonna play all are gonna play Georgia. They're both gonna play LSU, both can play Georgia. Georgia plays at Auburn, obviously neutral site in Jacksonville for Florida, Georgia. So do you think that uh, b- between LSU and Georgia, do you think that these two teams, how many wins do you think they get out of that?
2: So you're saying four games? Yeah. I think whew. I'd some I don't know, man. I'm in I don't think either of them can beat LSU.
1: No. I think it's one in three and that win is definitely coming against Georgia if it even happens. Yeah.
0: With the yeah. especially because Georgia's gotta go neutral and then at Auburn. So it's basically yeah. like that's your bet right there.
1: And I just think that Georgia, like the way that you look at the style of play for Georgia and LSU, we've talked about it on here before. I just think that LSU is a more difficult team because you can't just, you know, you have to outscore it at this point. Which I feel like Georgia will is more willing to get a little, you know, a rock fighty game where one or two mistakes can decide the outcome. With LSU, you've you've got to just outplay it. And I'm not sure either Auburn or Florida have the offense that could keep pace with that.
0: Okay, real quick before we get to Ohio State, does Tennessee take away any moral victory points from uh putting just just at least being competitive for a hot minute against the Bulldogs?
2: You know, it's funny. I I was sitting here all i mean not all game but certainly in the first half and well into the the, the second half i was I, I had my finger on on the button a draft to, a
0: twitter draft ready to
2: go no no no, no. <laughs> not a twitter draft not a twitter draft a button to award tennessee with a moral victory yeah that i you know i had i had the moral victory all queued up it was in the win column moral moral victory tennessee needs every victory it can get we'll give them a moral one but then they let it slip away, and I cannot I cannot stand by a moral victory being awarded to a team that got beat, whatever the final score was of that game.
1: I, I mean, I, I'm not awarding a moral victory, but I will say if I'm a Tennessee fan, at the very least, I'm encouraged by Brian Moore and what we could possibly do on offense going forward. Because, yeah, they, they came out quick, and then it just kind of died. But still... There, there, felt like a lot more life in that Tennessee offense tonight against Georgia, even in like a 30-point loss. than I, ever, there really has been at any point this season before.
2: You, you know what I saw out of Tennessee? I, I saw a team that has a bunch of guys. Not a there's, there's some guys out there that they're making play. Like there's some guys out there that look like the way you want them to look. But, but for every two of them, there's one guy that's just ain't very good and and it's going to take some more time to weed out those ain't very goods and I I, I still think that the guys coming into the program are better than the guys leaving and I still think this this team is heading in the right direction Uh, but there was a lot of plays where it's just man you know what a lot of guys like 10 guys did really did, did a good job on that play but one guy didn't didn't strap it on for that one, so it was, uh, you know, it's it's. There's moments, there's flashes, but it's just just not there yet, and no moral victories out of this one.
0: And for any uh, listeners who weren't really, it was it was fourteen ten. Tennessee leads early second quarter, and mm-hmm. then uh, thirty three unanswered points for Georgia. The Bulldogs win forty three to fourteen, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just put an open call out. I know that a lot of college football players probably download this podcast. Marquez Callaway, Jawan Jennings, the thirty for thirty that you want to do, talking about your time at Tennessee, the thirteen <laughs> combined years that you've had with this team. Yeah, come come talk to the Cover Three podcast first because we can turn this into an anthology series. Please. Does it ever
1: terrify you the idea that
2: players are listening?
0: No, not really. But
2: I don't think it does.
0: Yeah. I, I I hope I again I hope that you are because Juwan Jennings and Marquez Calloway I promise you there's the one of the greatest books that could ever be written about Tennessee football is going to be about y'all's experience.
2: The only person I'm worried about listening is Brian Van Gorder. <laughs> I, I, I think I think if I run into Brian Van Gorder he might not we, we may not we may not chop it up over a beer. I think but, the three
1: uh, of us could take him. So as long as we're together. <laughs>
0: The uh, And by the way, how, how about uh, Notre Dame getting the cover and the under?
2: Oh, man, you should have played it. <laughs> that would have been beautiful if you played it, that one. It's all right. Understandable. At least you hit one of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, Ohio State takes care of business against Michigan State. It looks like Michigan State has kind of lured the Buckeyes into uh, the kind of fist fight that Sparty needs to be able to hang on. But, man that uh, that Michigan State offense just is uh like between and I guess we we'll get to Michigan next but those uh the the offense just ain't it ain't it that ain't it chief and eventually these things were gonna break down a little bit of a slow start but uh, Buckeyes end up pulling away with a with a comfortable victory and the uh, the cover after a, another late Sparty turnover Tom so you were uh you're on the live blog for this right mm-hmm OK, so what's how, how are we feeling in terms of the uh, b- before we get to the Ohio State sort of like, oh, my God, how good are they? Conversation that we're going to continue to carry on for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, like, are we uh, are we done with Sparty? Was this their one chance or do you think that there's still some uh, some ups and downs for this very, very confusing and confounding 2019 Spartans team?
1: I think that the first few minutes of this game decided how the rest of it went, and things could have been pretty different. Not to say that I think Michigan State wins this game, but you look at the way it started. Ohio State gets the ball to start. Michigan State's defense comes out, completely stops them. They get a punt. Michigan State then turns the ball over on its very first play. It hits a slant, gets a first down, and then fumbles. So now all of a sudden, Ohio State's got the ball within inside the Michigan State 30. And then Michigan State's defense comes back out, Stonewalls Ohio State again, pushes it back. Ohio State misses a field goal. So now you're like, okay, cool. Jitters are out. They dodge the bullet. Two plays later, Michigan State's fumbling the ball right back to Ohio State. And again, the defense comes out and stops them, but this time they make the field goal. But it was just the Spartans had a chance there where if they would have been able just to take advantage, if if not even score, but just, you know, put together a nice drive, flip the field, keep things going, they could have maybe kept this close and like more rock-fighty and had a chance to win. But when they didn't do that, I feel like it kind of left the sails out because it was another instance of the defense probably be like, man, we have to do everything. Because I thought Brian Lewerke overall played well. I thought he was let down a bit by his receivers. And I think at the end of the day, the problem with Michigan State is the same problem it's been. They can't run the ball the offensive line is not very good and they, they average two and a half yards per carry in this game on the ground they weren't really able to protect the work he was he was sacked four times he was harassed a lot more than that and it's just if they can't block their ceiling is very limited because you know if your whole identity is to try to be a physical football team and you're not physical in your offensive line what are you going to be able to do so yeah, I, I don't. I think Michigan State is still one of the better teams in the Big Ten, but it's it's well below that top tier of teams.
2: I think this game went exactly how we all envisioned it. I mean, we talked about it that uh, Ohio State and the under are, are you know a pretty good chance they both hit. I mean, I think we all felt like that that was a really likely scenario. And I mean, early in the game, uh, I mean, if, with Michigan State not scoring, um. I mean, they, they, they they certainly like they, they had the fumbles, they stopped Ohio State, uh, but they didn't take advantage of their opportunities. And I think as this game continued, it was very clear that, look, uh, this Mississippi State team is just going to get tired. Like, Ohio State's just got too much firepower offensively to not wear them down and get points out of this deal. And so when it became clear that it wasn't going to be a – you know that, that Ohio State was going to get plenty of possessions and that Justin Fields was it. Because early in the game, it looked like Justin Fields, You know, first six attempts or so, he didn't look that sharp. But when he got a little bit more comfortable and it looked like Justin Fields was not a fraud, it was like, all right, well, this is just a matter of time. I mean, they're, they're going to stretch this out. It's just a matter of time because Justin Fields is, in fact, pretty dang good. And, I mean, sure enough, you know, a few big plays, a few Justin Fields runs, and it's a pretty futile enterprise for Michigan State to try to come up with a W.
1: Yeah, it felt like there was a moment in the second quarter where Ohio State's offensive line kind of figured out what it had to do against Michigan State's defensive front. And once it was able to do that and Justin Fields was able to settle in, they were able to just, you know, start running the ball. The game was over.
0: It's like Justin Fields, because of the quarterback depth at Ohio State. There's probably a little bit of game planning that's trying to limit, um, you know, the exposure there. And then you get caught in a really tight, tough situation. And Ryan Day's like, "Ah, oh, okay, <sighs> let's hit the easy button. Let's just run the quarterback power, or like, let's just let's just call up some of these Justin Fields design run plays because." Those are the same plays that are in the playbook from when it was like JT Barrett there. And guess what? Justin Fields is a way better runner than JT Barrett. And that can get uh, something that might've been a seven yard gain. It could be a 25 yard gain. And that stuff is just uh, so scary when we do consider. And I, I took the jokey voice earlier, but as we do continue to consider Ohio state and how it ranks against the best teams in the country, like the, the, that dynamic aspect to the Justin Fields Ohio State offense is just one of those things that feels like a tiebreaker. That kind of makes it easy uh, to put the Buckeyes over the top in those some of those debates.
2: Yeah, you can be you can, you can be having a bad day on offense. You can be having a bad day throwing the ball. You can be things aren't clicking, and Justin Fields can get loose a couple times. And I mean, what the, I think it was the J.K. Dobbins long run. I mean, it was. That part of what sparks that run is just the fact that defenses are so worried about Justin Fields keeping it, and I mean that's just that's a it's a get out of jail free card in a lot of ways, and uh, Ryan Day is really good at using it.
1: Kind of uh-huh. a side note: what was amazing about that Dobbins touchdown run is he got caught from behind for a second there, and he nearly got tackled, and the tackler hit him, and it completely slowed him down. But then after Dobbins didn't go down, it took him two steps to be right back at full speed. Yeah. It was like two strides. And it was like, all right, he's, he, you know, he went from zero to 60 in two strides. And I was just like, man, you cannot teach that. That's just something you have.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's good to see JK out here uh, putting up these touchdowns the same way after that running game was struggling a little bit. Uh, speaking... Of a struggling running game, or I guess even a struggling offense uh, in Ann Arbor, there was a, a an incredibly ing- aggressive performance by a Michigan defense that was really able to overwhelm Iowa's offensive line, cause a lot of problems for Nate Stanley, and really like win the game. There was like there was also uh, sort of a strange feel to the Michigan Iowa game because. At 10 nothing in the first quarter, it kind of felt like Michigan was going to cruise in this one. And, you know, I felt like they were going to cruise because they seemed bigger. You know, they just were a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit more athletic. I like think this seemed like it was just going to be a a little bit more run-of-the-mill, and yet that Michigan offense just just sort of screeched to a halt. So, like Barton, what did... What what was your your sort of current status with the Michigan offense? Because fantastic performance by Michigan's defense. Yes, that is true. But also this game probably should have been twenty-eight to ten instead of ten to three, the way it looked early, at least.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess hey, maybe maybe I was that good on defense. I don't know, but it's certainly the evidence we have to this point in the season suggests more likely Michigan's just really still trying to figure something out on offense. You know, that the early in the game that big throw to Nico Collins downfield, I was like, Whoa, okay. Like now, this is, this is a little more like it. So and I felt like
0: they were going to get it all game. I mean, they even said it on the broadcast. Joel Clatt was like, yeah, Kirk Ferentz was really worried about these big-bodied receivers against our yep. small corners. And I was like, well, yeah, you found it in the first quarter. Just keep hitting it, and you're going to win this game comfortably. And it didn't happen.
2: Yeah. And I just – I mean, look, there's – I don't know where to point to because Shea Patterson is – just hadn't been the guy – the, the offensive line is supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the country. That was what we were led to believe coming into the season. They're not. There's really not a true bell cow running back. And then while we all think their receivers are all really good, I mean, they got to be, right? But they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm right there with you. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, th- I, th- sure. I don't think that's a lie. Like, I think that that's true. But here we are. And they, they, you know, they're not, getting open or they're not I, so I, I don't know who to blame it on and uh, maybe we don't need to blame it on anyone maybe it's just a collection of players that have not gelled in a new offense but um, it ain't there and uh, you know they got some they got some tough games coming up
1: if if you gentlemen will allow me a moment here I'd like to read you Michigan's drive charts okay <laughs> five plays 14 yards punt four plays eight yards field goal six plays 70 yards touchdown hey chip things are starting out pretty good it's feeling pretty good like you're saying two plays five yards interception three plays four yards punt five yards 17 plays punt three plays zero yards punt Six plays, 56 yards, missed field goal. Five plays, 22 yards, punt. Six plays, six yards, punt. Ten ten plays, 64 yards, missed field goal. Three plays, two yards, punt. Three plays, eight yards, punt. Now, after I've read that, I would like to go to a quote from Jim Harbaugh following this game. I really think we're hitting our stride on offense. I really do. The way our offense has been practicing, the way they've been preparing, I have great faith they're hitting their stride. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Jim and I are watching the same
2: team. Yeah, what does it look like to not be hitting your stride, I guess?
1: I think they're hitting their stride on defense, at least since they were dismantled by Wisconsin. But if that's the offense hitting its stride, Michigan is in a lot of trouble. They had 267 yards. They averaged four and a half yards per play. As I went through the drive chart, they only had like three or four possessions where they went over 50 yards on any possession. It, okay, they're hitting
2: their stride. I tell you, it's that that it makes me love that defense though, because those guys just—I mean—they absolutely. I mean, that's a Alaric Jackson maybe came back a little early from injury because he had his hands full on the def, uh, with that Michigan defensive line. Like the those guys came to play. Um, what they had seven or eight sacks on the day.
1: They had eight uh, sacks, they had seven in their first four games. <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean and, and and I mean I trust Don Brown to get his guys right. And and I love the mentality that those guys have because they know at this point, they know what they have on offense. Like those guys sitting on the other side of the bench ain't helping us out, boys. Like let's go do this on our own. And and that's exactly what they did. And I like that sort of fires me up that they they don't even you know what forget it we're, we're not counting on y'all anymore let let's we're going to do, do this on our own and hey look the defense deserves plenty of blame for the Wisconsin game if not most of the blame uh, but that they, they, they got it fixed and I, I think that this is starting to look like a deep cuz you know some of the guys that are making plays like Cameron Agrone had like t- you know two sacks and i mean th- there's some guys that are sort of new face playmakers are stepping forward and so i think that that's a pretty uh encouraging indicator for that program
0: one of the uh, we, uh, uh, just uh, one of the uh the wildest stats that i think i saw this this week was jonathan taylor has scored a touchdown on every wisconsin opening drive this season
1: yes yeah scored like five touchdowns today
0: Sheesh. sorry tom
1: I was, uh, where are we setting the total for michigan michigan state Ooh. Do I hear any opening bids?
0: 30. Oh, are, we, are we saying what it, do we think it opens at or what it closes yeah.
1: at? Where, where does it open?
0: Opens at 42. 42 and a
1: half. i going to say 39 and a half. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I yeah. bet you'd
1: still want to take the under, don't you? I
2: I do. Well, I do think... That this was a perfect storm for a 10-3 kind of game, just with the way Iowa plays, and uh, yeah, I mean that that was like that was a tough. And, and by the way, is Nate Stanley just the most Iowa quarterback to ever lace it up? I mean, just a big old corn fed dude with with just a big arm who can't really move, who's <laughs> you know just just sitting back there and he had, I mean, they, they were like two receiver routes all day long and he couldn't yeah. find anybody. It's just a weird, it's a weird deal. watching he, Iowa.
1: he was also in like, he was going, th- it, it it reached a stage late in the game where he was, he knew where he was going before the snap, no matter what, just because he, the way Michigan was pressuring him, he didn't want to waste his time trying to read the defense after the snap. <laughs> he all was right, just like, right. all right, I'm going this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Mm. how you went with three interceptions exactly
0: coming up on the other side more of our takeaways from week six next the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of new balance Okay, guys, I've got, uh, I've just got some, some wild stuff, some bananas activity in the ACC coastal, but that feels a little local. So, uh, where, where do y'all want
2: to go? Well, but I mean, I, I didn't watch this game, but I just, uh, uh, while we're, while we've got a moment, uh, you, Beavs? Can, sound, you can, you can sound the alarm. We got to, we got to win total push. Beeves get the W. So, uh. You know, just just as long as we can note that and we can move on now. <laughs>
0: hey,
2: before we move on, though, <laughs> like, do you guys realize that this is year two of the Chip Kelly era at UCLA yep. and also year two of the Jonathan Smith era at Oregon State?
1: Which coach would you rather have right now?
2: Jonathan Smith.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, what in the F? I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who Chip Kelly is. Like, who is this Chip Kelly? I don't think Chip knows anymore, honestly. that's a. I think you're exactly right. I think that's hitting it on the head.
0: I think that when you're able to compartmentalize really, really well, you just kind of ignore everything else. <laughs> I think that he's probably, like, going to bed at night, and he's like, well, I mean, our our team stinks, but hopefully we'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember Larry Fedora at the end of uh, his time at North Carolina. He was like, he was almost trying to show like a mindfulness side. And he said, every morning I wake up and I say that there's nothing that you can do to affect the forces outside of you. All I can do is do my best. And I say it to myself every morning. It's like, all right, Larry, good luck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> like,
0: yeah. I, I, I am i am supportive of your uh, your move towards a, a better mental state but yeah I, I think you need to be concerned about what other people are uh, doing right now <laughs> yeah just yeah uh,
2: that's that's uh that's commendable larry but just make sure you not know to block that three tech
0: also <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, all right so let's uh do you want to get into ACC Coastal? Do you want to go to Texas, West Virginia? we got Penn State. We've got Kelly Bryant in Missouri. Oklahoma State lost to Texas Tech.
2: Let's We're, get into that. There was some ACC madness. Let's just go ahead and dive into some of the ACC madness.
0: Okay, so uh, 19-3 at halftime in Durham. Not at all what we expected from Duke Pittsburgh coming off the Duke blowout of Virginia Tech. More on the Hokies later. Then – Duke mounts this insane comeback that includes a two-point try that might be reversed. Then it gets all the way back and Pitts able to get out of there with a 33-30 victory. Like, the the ups and downs of that game are absolutely bananas. And yet, that doesn't even compare to the fact that Virginia Tech nearly blew a 28-0 lead against Miami that included Jaron Williams having three interceptions, getting benched. Nicosi Perry comes in, throws a Hail Mary before halftime that gets batted around and caught. Then DJ Dallas comes in. They have a missed extra point that would have given them a one-point lead. And Virginia Tech goes down, scores. Miami gets the other way, all the way down to the 10-yard line, has the potential game-winning touchdown batted down by Virginia Tech so now Miami is uh and two I believe in ACC play and Virginia Tech is still somehow even amongst all the mess they've got a new uh a new quarterback Ryan Willis is out uh, Miami I guess has a quarterback controversy and all of it I think is left with uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels as your new ACC coastal <laughs> favorites let's go
1: just gonna push the the who's to the side there.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because that game's in Chapel Hill. We're already talking about <laughs> it. I mean, yeah, it was it was bananas day in the ACC Coastal. Did y'all catch any of it?
2: I, I did. Cat, I so a few of these bananas games. I didn't get much of. I got a little bit of Boston College, Louisville. Didn't get any oh, of UNC, man. Georgia Tech, and didn't get any of Pitt, Duke. But the Virginia Tech Miami game. I mean, like, when, when is Miami gonna like? That that's that's just sad to see them jumping around on the sideline before the game, getting all hype and just sort of thinking getting some just sort of feels about man, like let's get this let's get the U back. And then they go and they and they get run up by by Virginia Tech, a team that's just been terrible. And I mean that's this sort of a tired tired, I guess, conversation of, you know, when's the U gonna be back, but that's a bad look. I guess I'm just going to spin it and say, good on Virginia Tech. We found a quarterback that can do some things with his legs and Hinden Hooker, and they 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 saddled up and made you know had a kind of a good stand there. But how bad of that is a look on on Miami?
0: Oh, it's a terrible look because that Virginia Tech offense, even with Hinden Hooker uh, providing a little bit of a different, op- much different option. Excuse me from Ryan Willis. Uh I still don't think that Virginia Tech offense is that great. And I thought that the one thing that I could count on based on the personnel and based on the coaching was Miami being really solid defensively. So even as you're having these like clunker 17 to 12 game against Central Michigan, I'm able to be like, all right, well, so Miami's offense still isn't working. That's fine. But when when you have that kind of uh turn and when you just Show up a little bit flat. I, I I think it's a massively disappointing start to the Manny Diaz era.
2: Yeah, Did, I mean, two 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 of um of Jaron Williams' interceptions were in the end zone, weren't they?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah one of, one of them was on like fourth down, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They had five turnovers. I mean, yeah, Virginia Tech's offense. They they scored forty two points yet they only had three hundred and thirty seven yards, <laughs> so it's not that's not typically the ratio you see. But they had a lot of short fields thanks to Miami turnovers.
0: Are you uh, willing to excuse the the loss for the Hurricanes, Tom?
1: No. Okay. No, you you, you that was just a dog crap effort, and I I, I appreciate that. They battled back and they didn't quit because that was easily a situation where they could have just sat there and felt bad about themselves. So that's a good sign, at least going forward. But no, there's there's nothing to excuse for that. That was that was an awful. They, they put themselves in that situation.
0: OK, what about Pitt Duke? Any strong takeaways or is that just another wacky <laughs> day in the sideways world of the ACC Coastal?
1: It was on the ACC network, so I didn't get to watch it. But as somebody who had Pitt plus 165, that was a roller coaster. <laughs> Just following on the game tracker. It was what, in like, I thought that thing was over. I, I I was counting the money. I was spending it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, wait, no. It's a one score. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs>
2: and, yeah, never a doubt. Pitt wins.
0: Did you get any? You said you weren't able to get many eyes on it, right, Barton?
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get the. Yeah, I didn't get any any eyes on that one. Um, but I was watching it on the on my score app as well. And you know, earlier it was like, well, there's no reason to watch it. And then I was tied up and I went in the midst of the Duke comeback, but I was sort of seeing it progress slowly, in uh, you know, on my phone. And man. I mean, I, I mean, that Pitt is such a. Tom had a great tweet. That was what was it? What was your tweet, Tom?
1: Pitt is the goofy neighbor in every sitcom who sometimes says some profound word.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't it's say like, here. Yeah, it's like you can't. You just like who is who are these guys? But like they, you, you, I mean they could? They can. You just never know what you're getting. It's just a roller coaster with them.
0: Can I? Uh... Can can I take it another step and say that it's, uh, what's the, the second male lead to, to Ray Romano and everybody loves Raymond? Is it a brother? Is it his a brother? Yeah. Yeah. Pitt's the brother. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we just sort of, just sort of like kind of a goofball and like butt of most of the jokes, but sometimes the brother does something that's like really makes everyone proud.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's it. <laughs> Congratulations, Pitt. You're the brother and everybody loves Raymond. Which you could use to see on CBS. Oh, Ray. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Is Penn State believable as a potential Big Ten championship contender?
2: Uh, I'm not there yet. Well, I mean, only because we're comparing it to Ohio State. I mean, I, I think that they're believable as potentially the second best team in the Big Ten. Um, and, I, I mean, they might be the second best team in the Big Ten, but... There's still a little. There's something missing still. Like they didn't put, and that Purdue team. I mean, come on. I mean, Jack poor poor Jack Plummer. I mean, that dude. I, at one point, I looked up and he was like two of eleven or something ridiculous. But I had seen with my own eyes like four drops. I mean, He has no one to throw to. There's no there, there's no running game to speak of. They've they've got everyone's injured on their defense. It's just a I mean, that's not a good team. And it's and, and it's not even a it's just a, a team that's all their good players are out. I mean for the most part, a lot of them anyways. Yeah. And so it's that's a hard game to measure and like Penn State really didn't put their foot on Purdue's throat. It you know, they jumped out to a twenty and nothing lead and that was impressive, but I think that James Franklin's gonna have plenty of coaching and teaching points after this one uh, to, to lean on. Well,
1: I think James Franklin sees that his team's next three weeks are at Iowa versus Michigan and at Michigan State. And once they got up and the game was over, I think he was just like, okay, that's enough. I mean, Purdue only had 104 yards of offense in this game.
0: Right. So And, and our, our, the the feeling early in the game was like, oh, Penn State could score a hundred if it wants to.
1: And I think to your it could point, have if yeah, it yeah. really wanted to.
0: Yeah, but it just what it was not interested in the, in playing that kind of game.
1: Yeah. It it's it took the foot off the gas and said, let's go home, pretty much. I mean, it, shockingly, if you take Rondale Moore,
0: Elijah, Elijah Sindelar,
1: half the defense, a couple offensive linemen, I think two or three running backs away from Purdue. Jeff Brom doesn't have that program built to where it has that kind of depth, I
2: guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, look, I think Penn State is, is. I mean, we'll find out. I mean, they got to go to Kinnick Stadium next weekend. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that's always at, a scary thing for them.
2: At night. Yeah. So um, that's, uh, I mean, that's going to be really telling because as much as Iowa didn't look all that. Uh, they don't look like world beaters today. When they get in the Kinnick Stadium at night against a ranked opponent, forget about it, man. That's trouble. That's the scary place to be. So um, we'll, we'll find out a lot about Penn State next weekend.
0: Kelly Bryant went down with a knee injury in what was uh, a Missouri romp against Troy. Missouri's got an interesting profile now as they uh, continue to sort of insert themselves maybe – amidst the you know in the third or fourth place in the sec east they've got the loss in laramie on for their opener but since then it's been uh, nothing but dubs so uh as as we have uncertainty around kelly bryant do y'all believe that Missouri is this something where we just have to sit and wait and see or is this a, a missouri team that maybe has uh, already started to show signs of exceeding expectations
1: I mean, I, I think it depends what your expectations for are because I think that if you look at the SEC East right now, I mean, yeah, there's there's Florida and Georgia, and then there's a lot of I, I don't really know. I mean, both Vandy and Kentucky are now zero and three in the conference. Tennessee's zero and two. South Carolina's one and two. So I feel like Missouri. I don't know if it's exceeding expectations as much as it's the third best team in the division by default you know it's from what i've seen it it's it's a good team it, it looks like an above average team it's just there's nothing to me about this team that i think is all that special so i think it's going to finish in third in the division and i think it's probably going to have maybe 8 or 9 wins just based on the rest of that division but i don't think that this is a team that i'm going to be it's, it's going to be a team that might finish ranked but it might be a team that's overranked you know what i mean mhm yeah
2: yeah i mean i I think their defensive line is good I mean I think Kelly Bryan is good I think this is a I mean i I think this is a team that's a significant I mean look they killed South carolina there's I think there's a significant tier above the non Florida and Georgia teams in the SEC east and is Missouri on the Florida tier is the question
0: I would I mean, say no no
2: yeah
1: yeah, I agree. That's not to say it can't beat Florida, but it's not on the same tier.
0: Okay, there are there is 3:21 left in the third quarter. Stanford is up 20 to 10. as As we turn our attention to the Pac-12, we've got Oregon 17-7 to to break down. But uh, just just right now, instant thoughts: Do y'all think that uh, that Washington's going to win this game?
1: Well, they just kicked the field goal to make right. it twenty to thirteen. So here they come. I bet they win. I think they win because, as we've said many numerous times, Stanford is sad and soft, and they will blow this in the fourth quarter.
2: But they're not. On they, tape. They're not looking uh, sad soft in this game as as much as they have been. So credit to David Shaw, uh, getting them rolling finally.
1: Maybe David Shaw listens.
2: Yeah, maybe so.
0: Credit Barton for the callback on the fact that you can't spell sad and soft without Stanford.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so Oregon's
0: 17-7 win. Uh, the the defense is sort of the headlining uh, factor here as Cal jumps out to a 7-0 lead, but then uh, the defense kind of rises up. You've got some Oregon turnovers that they had to overcome, and they were able to. And so as they, as they get a little bit of a, a hard-fought win, do you think that this is something that that falls into the culture of uh, a little bit more of a physicality that Mario Cristobal is trying to put in in Eugene? Or is this uh, just maybe a sign that the the Oregon team that has a little 13 beside its name might not be the 13th best team in the country?
2: Well, first of all, Cal is the... Northwestern of the Pac-12. Yes, it, it, Cal is a total like glitch. It's Cal is a video game that every time you play it, you got to take it out and blow on it and put it back in because you can't figure out why it's not working. Like Cal,
1: it's a bunch of nerds who doesn't want anybody having a good time.
2: I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. And it was, and and I was dumb enough to pick against both Cal and Northwestern this weekend, and I'm just, I'm, I'm off that. Don't let me do it anymore. Um, Yeah, you you were out
0: here laying more than two touchdowns with a pair of Pac-12 North teams.
2: Just, just stupid, just (laughs) flat out stupid. And, uh, so I mean, I do, I I credit Cal. Just like I credit Northwestern for like these m- mind boggling ways they're able to stay in these games. That said, I'm not giving like I'm not gonna tip my cap to Oregon for this. I'm just not. This is I, I, I Marcus Arroyo is it, it's time for him to take a step forward and acknowledge that this is a big time football program or they're supposed to be. And if you want to be, you know, having playoff discussions or Pac-12 championship discussions, let's get rolling offensively. I, I know it's Cal, but let's get going. And I think the, the Justin Herbert stuff and it's been it's been sort of fed, force fed for, for a couple of years now that he's potential number one overall draft pick. And I know he is big enough and he's athletic enough and he's got a strong enough arm and all the the sum of his parts certainly screams first round, but when when was the last time Oregon was in a game and you were just like, "Oh man, just wait till, wait till Justin Herbert gets the ball again"? Am, no. am I am I wrong? No, like, no, 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 no,
0: no. I, it, <laughs> not like it. It has it has always been the fact that I have had Justin Herbert set to the side as a great quarterback prospect in that conversation where I believe you can be a great quarterback prospect for the NFL and not be a great college football quarterback. Now, I do think Justin Herbert has given us reasons to think that he's a great college football quarterback, but it's not like he has been a unique individual game changer most games at the college level.
1: My thing is I don't know if it's Herbert's fault or if it's his coach's fault because what I saw in this game was a lot of the things that I've have driven me nuts about Mario Cristobal since he took over this program, I feel I what's the way to put I feel like if Mario Cristobal was in a fight, he wouldn't want to win the fight as much as he would just want to make sure the fight didn't end. You know what I mean? He just wants to be fighting. He's not trying to win. And I feel like every week you see Oregon in a matchup like this where Cal has. Devin Modster at QB. Yes, Cal is a very difficult team to deal with. Its defense is very good, it's the Northwestern of the Pac 12. But there is no reason why a number 13 team Oregon with as much talent as Mario Cristobal has started to amass in Eugene should not beat the crap out of this California team. But they don't seem interested in doing that. They'd rather keep it close. They'd rather keep it into a rock fight because I feel like they just want to fight. They don't want to win. And it's why I cannot trust them against better teams. And it's why, no, you asked earlier, Chip, are they really the 13th best team in the country? No. No. Yeah. They're just there because whenever people put together their ballot on Saturday night or Sunday morning, they're like, oh, crap, I have to put it through 12 teams, and I don't have a Pac-12 team yet. I guess I'll just put Oregon here.
2: Yeah, for for, for a weekend that didn't have a whole lot of meaningful results, game-changing results, I'm I'm going to be shuffling my rankings a little bit. I'll say that.
1: Oh, yeah, we got I don't it. know if the Pac-12 deserves a team in the top 15.
2: They don't. They probably don't. I mean, oh. without without looking at it, I mean, I don't think they, they probably don't.
0: Mm. Um, what else is on the notepad?
1: Uh, I want to talk about – let's go to the Big 12. There are three teams in the Big 12 right now that are 2-0 in conference play. There's Texas. There's Oklahoma. There's the Baylor Bears, who <laughs> have now won two in a row as underdogs straight up. Went to Manhattan, beat Kansas State 31-12. to That rule's got it rolling there, guys. And I'm thinking this is a Baylor team that, you know, you look at Oklahoma State, which lost today to fall to one and two in the Big 12 so far this year, who is pretty much almost already out of the race because I don't see either Oklahoma or Texas losing twice. So the Sooners, or the Cowboys are pretty much done. I think all of a sudden now Baylor, it's got the win over Iowa State. It's got the win over Kansas State. This is a team now that I feel like is the number one contender to get that second spot from Texas.
0: I'm not ready to say that about Baylor and I've been very enthusiastic pushing them forward and being, uh, being predicting them to win both against Iowa state and against Kansas state, identifying it as level up moments and being excited that they were able to meet the challenge. But, uh, in the same way that like we, we patted Texas on the back for winning 10 games last season, but we've ignored the fact that they had four losses. I don't think Baylor's to the point where it is going to get through the schedule without about three or four losses. And I think it's a great start, but I, I think that that's that's about the ceiling for the Bears this
1: year. Oh, chip, chip, chip,
2: chip, chip, chip. You'll see. So, so did you guys leave today with a with a different opinion of Texas than you started the day with?
1: No, no. I mean that was I. Th- I don't think, like, we saw Oklahoma struggled early against Kansas, too. And so for Texas to struggle early against West Virginia, they're, they're both in look-ahead spots. Next week's a big week for them. So I, I wasn't surprised to see anything by them.
2: What about, uh, I mean, the like the cannibalism has begun in the Big 12 because, I mean, Iowa State, just to, to kind of throw a smackdown on TCU, I thought was was telling. Obviously Texas Tech upsetting Oklahoma State was something, but uh, yeah, I think the 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 zaniness is just beginning in the Big Twelve. Um I really think like I, I agree with you guys that my opinion didn't really change from Texas, but it, but it was my opinion was hardened in in that I think Texas is probably got another loss.
0: Hell like yeah.
2: Somewhere along the way, <laughs> other than Oklahoma.
0: Yeah. No, no. They might beat Oklahoma and then have right. like two more losses in it. Yeah. Nah, this – and like I'm not ready to put Red River in the Iowa-Iowa State vacuum yet, but I kind of do. Don't y'all?
2: The Iowa-Iowa State vacuum meaning like what happens in in that game stays in that game? Yes. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. I will. I will finish Chip by just pointing out that Baylor is five and zero and winning by an average of twenty three points per game.
0: I know, I know. I'm just like, hey, what about Oklahoma? So Oklahoma State in the last couple years, when it plays ranked teams, it's like five and two, and when it plays unranked teams, it's like what four
1: and nine. I saw. I can't remember what the stat was. Somebody tweeted over the last five or six years or whatever now that after Oklahoma State lost today, because it was a seven-point favorite, or I think it was even more. Mike Gundy has lost more games as a touchdown favorite or more than any other coach in the country. In second place was Gary Patterson.
2: That's that's a very Big Twelve of those guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that's that was my thought too is like it didn't really make me question either of them as coaches as much as just maybe say man that big 12 is nuts
0: because <laughs> we've got uh kyle boone who also um contributes to pistols firing kyle porter also our golf writer is a uh, uh, the manager and uh, an owner over there for the the college football college basketball golf and baseball coverage for the the pokes and they seem to be very comfortable. Like that was, they're like, oh well, you know, Jet Duffy's gonna light us up because of course Jet Duffy's gonna light us up, and this is what happens when uh, a ranked hey. Oklahoma State team goes into Lubbock. Like they, like very very quickly that game started, and every Oklahoma State person I know was like, okay, yeah, we're gonna lose. This is how it goes, and that sort <laughs> of familiarity allowed me to not necessarily downgrade my view of Oklahoma State. I mean, sure, like they're going to fall out of the rankings and uh, they do deserve to be, not punished, but they deserve to be like ranked in a different place. But as I have my own sort of personal power ratings in my mind as we move forward in the season, I my opinion, like you asked about Texas, my opinion of Oklahoma State has not really changed after that Texas Tech loss because by everything that I was able to see, I was like, okay, so this is just what Oklahoma State does.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think Oklahoma State, if you've had to like pick Oklahoma State, not even gets the spread, just like straight up over the last four weeks. I mean, good freaking luck. You know? I mean you just guys like it's it's really just kind of a guessing game. But what what we know about them is they're explosive. They're kind of exciting. I I I would I would enjoy being an Oklahoma State fan. I I kind of wish I was an Oklahoma State fan. You know? (laughs) Yeah, it'd be no, fun. It'd yeah. be like being a pit fan. It's it, no, you're gonna no, dive no. hard, oh but God, no. fun. But it's a it's a more it's a much more enjoyable experience than being oh, a pit yeah. fan. It's a being a pit fan would be fun in the same way like it is fun to gamble and sometimes like take a really bad beat and sometimes like win a really like crazy finish. But Oklahoma State is like. I don't know it's you, you get to it's just like a fun experience like you know what like if we're go eight and four hey good for us but sure. that was a fun eight and four that was an exciting eight and four we want we scored a lot of points had some fun I just think that'd be a fun fan base
0: we've sure. got these big paddles we bang them against the side of a wall it's great
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see I see chuba Hubbard had a light workload today only thirty four carries. <laughs> Hundred and fifty six yeah. yards. Tom's
0: Tom's on this right now. You've got Chuba Hubbard on the
1: They're Wisconsining him. They are Ron Daney and all those dudes to Chuba. They are gonna run him into the damn ground before he gets to the NFL. Can, Lighten the load. Can can I
0: um nominate Tennessee Titans legend Derrick Henry as the, the namesake for this trophy? Mr. Forty yeah. carries two hundred and two yards, Derrick Henry.
1: I think Ron Dane's still the ultimate flag yeah, that's true. for this award
0: for sure um uh well all right so listeners i i am gonna guys i'm gonna take an executive decision we got a lot of awesome responses what do you think about pushing to a full or at least a, a little bit of a more healthy listener mailbag episode does that sound it's good a full, deal
2: full mailbag episode
0: or at least uh at least not like hours Minutes sixty through ninety when it's one a.m. and Barton's <laughs> yeah, still in Stanford.
2: Uh, I, I'm I'm with that, and then it may actually we can actually sort of perhaps even think about our responses instead of just hitting them, uh, you know, on the on the spot. And uh, you know, they're like I think one guy asked about a fantasy football question and things like that, and I'd I'd like to maybe prep prep an answer for a couple of those.
0: Okay. So thank you so much. And I promise that there will be, there will be a delivery on this. uh, Are we,
2: are you about to take us out?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I wanted to at least address the listeners who, who wanted to, uh, to get those, but we still have to dump our notebooks out. So if you've got something, take us, take us where you want to go.
2: Well, I did want to take, I wanted to like, I'm, I'm fascinated by Ole Miss right now. Ooh, Like Ole Miss is starting to be kind of fun to watch. They've, they've got this Rich Rod stuff rocking with two quarterbacks and a couple freshman running backs that had like 70-plus yard runs today. And I'm just – I don't know that I think they're going to win a whole lot more games, but they're, they're being they're, – they're, they're entertaining me. And they certainly did a number on Vanderbilt today. Shout out to dentist; He's back on track. Well, I got to um, bring that up. <laughs> but what I'm really getting at, and I and I tweeted this, this got out of the draft bin onto the onto the playing field. Uh, you know, where's the sweet spot for Rich Rodriguez to score enough points or not enough points to keep Matt Lucas' job, but enough points to where he can replace him? And 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 I'll, I'll take it a step further. Let me ask you guys this. The head coach at old of Ole Miss in twenty twenty is A Matt Luke, B Rich Rod, C Mike McIntyre, or D the Field. D. Ooh. I don't know. I, I think it's Matt Luke. I kind of do too. I think it's I think he I think Rich Rod's doing too good of a job. I think they have two. They have this young freshman quarterback, that's sort of exciting. They got some, you know, some an offense that's starting to roll a little bit. Unless they just get kind of regress in the second half of the season, feels like Matt Luke's doing enough.
0: I'm leaning on the dentist too, who said that this game was kind of a, a make-or-break game for the the some people whose voices might matter a little bit more.
2: Um, well, th- I think that was, he was saying more that it was a, it was, a, I don't know if it's a make game. It was a potential break game. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like yes. if he had lost it, that would have been trouble, but it, but that he won, it might just be kind of a stay of execution.
1: Well, here's a question. If Matt Luke is Ole Miss's coach in 2020, is Rich Rod still its offensive coordinator?
0: Maybe not. I would say that I feel more comfortable about Matt Luke not getting replaced Almost as like a time served kind of benefit. than I do about like if Rich Rod gets an attractive offer somewhere else. But I mean it's Ole Miss that there's a chance that that offer is uh, is pretty comfortable for him.
2: Yeah, I. But I really, I mean, I also think that Rich Rodriguez is the perfect. The, the perfect antidote. Head coach. Well, no, no. I was going to say the perfect antidote for what they needed this season, because you know, if you just roll in there and run the same old RPO stuff that everyone else is running, or try to do the stuff that the Hugh Freeze ran, like they'd be okay maybe with with uh, Matt Corral at quarterback, and but I think the fact that they have they they it, it's a little bit more run oriented. Um, and the fact that they did get John Rice Plumlee, and the fact that they got some good running backs, and Jerry Nealies there, and Snoop Connor, and these dudes, I think that all together creates a much more optimistic situation for Ole Miss than it would have been if Rich Rod still head coach at Arizona.
0: I agree. Yeah, for sure.
2: So, yeah. Went up so maybe 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 matt luke hired just just good enough
0: tom you got anything else in your notebook
1: uh yeah shout out to willie fritz and tulane for beating army in the next head coach bowl and the second part of that is i would like to officially announce that i am done with lovey Smith as coach of illinois just done time to move on
0: dms are open
1: DMs are open.
0: If you want to you slide need, up in them and petition Tom to be the next head coach, you can go
1: least, it. At least serve as your search
2: committee. Is this year five? Uh, it's year four. Year but four. But
1: it's, it's year four is the same as year three, is the same as year two, is the same as year one. It's – yeah. If Illinois can't stop anybody on defense, and if you hired Lovey Smith and he can't put together a defense – What's the point of having Lovey Smith as your coach?
2: You know, Lovey's an inter- is a really interesting case study because I remember when we did our coach rankings in the preseason, Lovey Smith's first year, so he hadn't coached a game yet. But here he is. This, I mean, didn't they basically, if I remember correctly, they basically fired who was before Lovey?
1: Uh, it was Tim Beckman who got fired for uh, like being a little. Physically abusive or met verbally abusive towards players. He was then replaced by Bill Cubit as an interim, who then got a contract extension to become the permanent coach by the board of trustees because they were between ads. And then Illinois' athletic director, current athletic director Josh Whitman, took over the job. And literally the first thing he did was fire Bill Cubit like a couple of weeks after he got the extension. And then he named Lovey Smith the head coach like a few days later. It was already. Done right, right. A job.
2: Right. So he had basically fired. He basically fired Qubit to hire Lovey because Lovey was would be such a, you know, universally approved hire. Like it was going to be like a home run hire, at least right. in his eyes. Right. And I remember we were when we were doing those coaching rankings. It's like, what do you do with Lovey Smith? He's never coached in in college, but man, he's, he's been in the super. He's played coach in the Super Bowl. He's you know, if you can be a Super Bowl coach, then man, you like. He must be you te- must be decent and i just think that's such a a telling like it's just so telling as, as I, I watch another washington receiver drop a ball from <laughs> these guys can't catch man uh but that, that's so telling that the, the two just i mean they're not uh, they, certainly they, there's correlation i guess or but but you cannot judge one based on the other and you know that that's I think I don't know that that's 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 really interesting to me. That you, you really like when when the USC job comes open and Jack Del Rio and uh, Jeff Fisher and guys like that are are, are banging on the door. You know, hey, I mean Pete Carroll worked at one point, but you really can't judge how good of a college coach they'll be just based on the fact that they've had success in the NFL. Herm Edwards says, "What's up?" Trying to change your narrative. Well, n- no, that's exactly. I mean, that's the point. I think too is, it's it's like, I mean, even even Herm, like he wasn't even that successful of an NFL coach, right? No. So perhaps that proves the point. The the opposite way is like that. It's you know, d- don't don't hold NFL failures against them either. um Stanford
1: defensive backs have better hands than Washington receivers, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, they do. This is another one that was just so stupid of me to bet. What was I thinking?
1: <laughs> that's a good
0: clip. That was that was an <laughs> that was, <That's, laughs>
2: that was an honest that's,
0: moment that's, from that's, Barton Simmons a, a, right there. That's gonna be one
2: I regret. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man! All right, Barton, you ready to uh, get back to the the Marriott Spa?
2: yeah i'm at the i i I bailed on the spa i'm at the hilton this time okay so yeah
0: so shout out to the hilton for taking care of barton and uh shout out to to you for all your hard work on cbs sports hq holding it down was it hakeem dermish the whole way
2: hakeem and then uh the the 11 p.m show is scott stanford scott stanford
0: absolutely uh you can follow him on twitter at barton simmons you can follow him at tom Fernelli. you can follow me at chip underscore patterson remember we will be back uh next week your your listener mailbag questions have been awesome we're going to compile them all the three of us will tackle them uh, we'll do it next week and so uh thank you so much for doing that continue to please subscribe if you haven't not already give us a five star review if you haven't already and again with that five star review you include a question it's going to be answered on this podcast uh that's that's just the way the game works gentlemen thank you very much thank you